Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles and read along while I try to read the monitor. Um, we're going to plow a little bit more in Acts chapter 2 as we talk about the five purposes of the church. Uh, we're going to go down the road of discipleship for two or three Sundays because uh, that is a huge, huge issue in our churches today. Uh, the lack thereof is one of the reasons that church attendance is as, as low as it is in the history of the, uh, of the church, in Baptist life in particular. And so we're going to talk a little more about discipleship, and you'll uh, begin to hear some of my heart as the Lord has uh, coached me in the last several years about how important discipleship is. And you've already learned that through the Sunday school, we do discipleship. And uh, I would push a little bit right here to Akron Baptist Church that we learn more ways to disciple through the Sunday school, more than just teaching a lesson. Uh, think about discipleship through the Sunday school. And so today we start in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, when we look at how they studied the Bible together there. Let's have prayer together before we read the scripture. Father, we do thank you and praise you today, Lord, for your love and mercy and goodness and blessings in our life and the joy of being able to gather together uh, to worship you, to serve you, the true and living God, by praising you. And now, Lord, it comes time to hear a fresh word from the Lord, and I pray that you will speak through the stumbling words of the preacher. I pray that through the distractions that are around us, even in the, this place, they will be uh, silenced and that we will hear a fresh word from the Lord. We thank you for what we're about to read, for we count it as the word of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Now in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, I want you to notice how they continually, 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 they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. We have our Bible today because the apostles were the ones who were uh, with the Lord Jesus and uh, as the early church decided which of all the letters and books and gospels that were written, which one would, would be in the Bible or the canon if you will, um, those who, one of the criteria was that the author was someone who knew Jesus, had walked with Jesus, had been taught by the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's very interesting to me that they studied the apostles' teaching. Well, that's our Bible. Okay, that's where we get our Bible, is from the apostles' teaching. Now go to the next slide, if you will. We look over in Mark chapter 1, and we remember how Jesus called his first apostles, those who were going to be his disciples. And watch how he discipled them. And he began uh, by simply calling them. Jesus said to them in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Today we're going to talk about the steps of a disciple, and secondly, we're going to talk about the struggles of a disciple. 
the steps you take as a disciple. When you, when you are following someone and following their teaching, you are their disciple. That's simply what discipleship is. You're following someone. And those who follow Jesus, those who believe in him and trust in him as Lord and Savior, you are a disciple of Jesus. You simply turn, you simply repent of your sin, you simply say, I don't want to be on this road of sin and death. I don't want to live the consequences of sin. The Bible says there's a way that seems right, but the end is the way of death. And we know that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the consequence of sin is spending eternity in a place called death and hell. That's not the road I want to travel. That's not where I want to end up. Now, can you imagine 90% of the people in Mead County today are not worshiping the Lord in the house of God or on Facebook? 90%, 89%. And can you imagine if they woke up this morning and said, Boy, I'm on the right road today. I'm headed to hell. You say, well, never, nobody's ever said that. That's because they've not heard the truth. That's why. The truth is, there's a way that seems right. I think I'll sleep in this morning. I'm not going to go to church because of whatever and whatever and whatever. I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to play golf. I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go hunting. I'm going to go do something for me. Because it's the only day of the week that I have off. Yeah, there is a way that seems right. But the end thereof is the way of death. There's an African proverb that says, Not to know is bad. Not to want to know is worse. When I was a seminary student, I thought I was pretty smart. I graduated college in two and a half years. That's quick, isn't it? The reason I graduated in two and a half years was I didn't want any debt to pay when I got out of school. 21 hours a semester every summer. Finally, I got out of that uh, state college and came to seminary and slowed down. And I read in the catalog of the seminary that the Ph.D., you know what Ph.D. stands for? Ph.D. It stands for pile higher and deeper. That's really what it stands for. And I was so full of myself, I thought I was smart. And it said in the catalog of the seminary, the Ph.D. program is for superior students. I said, well, that's me. Until I took Hebrew that first semester. <laughs> I failed. What I did not want to know was that I was not a superior student. In fact, the guy that talked me take, into taking Hebrew was from Alabama. We were in registration together. He said, you know what we ought to do is take Hebrew and get it over with. I thought, you know, he's from the University of Alabama. He's a smart dude. I think I'll do that. He didn't show up for class, and I've never seen him since. <laughs> I am not a fan of Alabama. The truth is, 
we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that path, we are following Satan. We are following evil. We are following our own lust. We even make ourselves to be God. And the truth is, on that path, we will die eternally. A disciple of Jesus says, I don't want to be on that road anymore. I repent, that means turn around. And I turn toward Christ and I follow Christ and live under His grace the best I can. I come to learn that with Jesus as my Lord and Savior, He remembers my sins no more. He has removed them as far as the east is from the west. That doesn't mean God forgotten my sins. It means He chooses not to hold it against me. He chooses not to remind me. I go down to visit my family in Louisiana. Remember that old bicycle story I told? And uh, I, I did something wrong. I rode that bicycle like I shouldn't have, went to places I shouldn't have gone, and they had the state police out looking for me. And uh, somebody found me and said, they're looking for you. Get that, put that bicycle in that pickup truck, and let's go down there to the cafe that your parents own. And we did, and I had the worst whipping I've ever had in my life. But every time I go back to visit, which, while, which I will do in a couple of weeks, we have a revival down there on a Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday under a canopy in the old Nazarene campgrounds. They still remember that bicycle trip. It's like they can't get over trying to shame me. And God says, I will never shame you again if you will follow me. I'll never hold it against you again if you'll follow me. I'll never hold your past against you if you will follow me. So it means to repent and walk in the right direction toward Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's the steps of being a disciple. It means recognizing every day that Jesus is Lord of my life and he has authority over me. It means that I choose Christ instead of comfort. I don't feel comfortable doing this or that for Christ. It's not about your comfort. It's about your sacrifice. If any man will follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and come follow me. Are you choosing Christ? Or are you choosing your comfort? Are you choosing Christ? Or are you choosing culture? Jesus warned those who would be his disciple that the way uh, of the world, the people who have chosen uh, not to follow Jesus, that's the broad way. And most people are going that way. And it will always be that way. But the way of the path of following Jesus and taking those steps to follow Jesus as a faithful disciple is a narrow path. And folks, it's upstream. Like the salmon in Washington State they swim up, you're swimming upstream against a culture that has chosen not to follow Jesus Christ. Which path are you on? Anybody know where Penn Run Golf Course is? Okay. I played on that course, and I am not a golfer. I actually took lessons. I really tried to get into it. But I'm tired of three hours of frustration. That's why I quit <laughs> playing golf. But one time I was out there playing and I hit one and it sliced and went another fairway and then to another fairway. And I went to get the thing. And I had to cross fairways. 
And one guy went over there and he said, here's your ball right here, sir. I said, oh, well, thank you. And then he asked me this question. Which fairway are you playing on? (laughs) Well, I would ask you that question. Are you a disciple of Jesus on the narrow path following Jesus? Are you like the golf ball that just goes way here and there and wherever the wind blows, that's where you go? Whatever is popular in culture, that's what you do. Are you a faithful disciple of Jesus to remain in Him? Now that's what our Sunday school has been all about. To remain in our relationship with Jesus Christ. There was a time in the colony days before the American Revolutionary War that a great revival came to this country. It's called the Great Awakening. And uh, one of the preachers of that Great Awakening was George Whitfield. And uh, these men were, the, were, were, were so methodical in their discipleship that those that made decisions to be a disciple of Jesus, they had a methodical way of praying, reading the Bible, fellowship with each other, and accountability to each other. And when George Whitfield would pray, eight or 9,000 people would gather in those logging camps of South Carolina, in those logging camps just out in the woods, and, and people were mean and people were ugly and there were no churches and there was no, uh, there was no fire. The, the churches that, that were in town were very few and everybody was so uptight and wearing their best dress and the common people didn't feel welcome. I hope we never get that way. I hope everybody feels welcome when they come here to Akron Baptist Church. George Whitfield would pray, I mean preach, and while he's preaching, People would repent and wail and cry out about their sin and and they would beg him, stop preaching, stop preaching, stop preaching. Well, all those people would get saved, were baptized, and somebody asked George Wheatfield, of all the thousands that have repented and were baptized, were they really saved? And his reply was, hear this, In six months, we shall see. In six months, we shall see. Because those who are discipled remain. Those who are not discipled and just get saved and go about their business in the world and don't continue in Bible study, fellowship, worship, these five purposes of the church, Um, In fact, when someone is saved, and if they're not in a Bible study group within six months today, you will not see them. That's a statistic in Baptist life. So those are the steps of the disciples, and I, I hope that you have been encouraged a little bit by the steps. And just ask yourself, ask yourself, who am I following? Who am I following? Now let's talk a little bit about the struggles of a disciple. Boy, you know, these disciples, when Jesus said, come follow me, I mean, they just left their nets and on they went. It said in verse 18, they left their nets and they followed him. How well did they do? What did they struggle with? Well, they struggled with the same things that you and I struggle with today. One is temptation and spiritual warfare. If If you are a disciple of Jesus, you are more keen and more sensitive to sin 
because the Holy Spirit of God that illumines righteousness and holiness and makes you aware of your sin is more powerful in your life. And you're more aware. Paul put it this way, we have this treasure, meaning the gospel, meaning the person of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. And mine's getting more earthen every day. Hebrews helps us to understand that Jesus, when he came, was tempted in every way that we are. He, did spirit, he, he was a spiritual warrior, and uh, the best example of that is his 40 days of prayer and fasting in the de- desert and was tempted by Satan, and you know the three temptations of, of Jesus that were there. But the Bible says because he lives in us now, with every temptation we face, right before we bite the bait, mm-hmm, that Satan tempts us with. That's really, uh, that's really what the word temptation means. That's a great description, biblical description. Lure is the word. In the book of James is called lure. It's a fishing term. So Satan lures us. What, what does he use to lure us? What's his bait? It's always one thing. What is it? Anybody know? It's a lie. That's what it is. Satan always lures you, tempts you with a lie. That's why you need the Holy Spirit in you to decide which is truth and which is a lie. And if you're a disciple, you're always going to uh, struggle with that discernment. With that discernment. So through our times of struggles with sin, Jesus is our coach. I watched two or three good football games yesterday. Kentucky won. Uh, Louisville won. And LSU won. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Uh, there was one, one boy out there, and he was playing with North Carolina State, and uh, he missed three field goals. Almost cost him the game. And one time, that kicker came back to the sidelines and he was so oh you just hate it when everybody watches you miss a field goal and when he came the coach just stood right in front of him caught him by the face mask and he began to teach him and tell him something I don't know what he said but he said something that I know the boy will never forget the rest of his life right yeah a good coach is always coaching um when, the, when a basketball player does something that's, that's not right, he brings him in, he sits the player down, and he just goes at him, you know, like that. He is teaching, he, always teaching. A good coach is always teaching. Well, so it is when we struggle with sin and temptation. God is speaking to us through the Holy Spirit, not to shame us. Satan shames you. The Holy Spirit makes you feel guilty. There's a difference. Uh, to feel guilty is a good thing. Because now you can make a change. And Jesus is always saying, now let's review what you did. And why did you do that? And if you did it for selfish reasons, then let me help you find a better reason. Let me help you understand that you're better than that. You're better than that wrong that you did. Because you are my child. You're a child of the king. 
We are never shamed by the Holy Spirit. It's the devil that tries to shame you and blame you and destroy you. But Jesus said, I came to give you life. And those he loves, he disciplines, the Bible says. And that discipline is like a coach speaking to a player that's messed up, and I mess up, and I just have to sit there and let the Holy Spirit affirm me as a child of God. And I give thanks to God that God loves me enough to talk to me like a coach that knows I can do better. That's a, that's a great place to be in life. How many people would love to have that kind of father that would put their hands around a daughter or son and say, yeah, you messed up, I know you messed up, but let's learn from that. Let's learn from that. That's what it means to be a disciple that struggles in the Holy Spirit, being like a coach. Disciples also struggle with growing up. I, of all people, resisted growing up. Because I was the baby of the family. <laughs> I'll always be the baby of the family. It's good to be the baby of the family. It does have its advantages. But we've got to grow up, folks. Now, one of the best discipleship books out there by Robert Gallaty is called Growing Up. Growing Up. And we may get into that book around here, but... We all are trying to grow up until we mature to the stature of the measure that belongs to the fullness of Christ. Psalmist said, Lord, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. If you wait till you're old to find a relationship with God that is transforming and gives you peace, uh, you'll get some, but why not start now? Why not start now? Uh, I love autumn, especially here in the countryside. Corn's about ready to harvest. Some of you told me you're starting this week. It's a beautiful thing. I used to drive to Scott Air Base once a month, and this time of year they're harvesting all that corn out there in those fields. It's just beautiful. It's like the harvest is in, you know. Everything is matured as much as it's going to mature. Now, as we live this Christian life, that's only going to happen when we get to heaven. But until then, um, we're always maturing and we're always growing. But I keep thinking about what it's going to be like in God's holy heaven one day in paradise. And I recall the words of the poet and preacher in England, John Donne, who said, hear this, in paradise, in heaven, the fruits were ripe the very first minute. And in heaven today, it's always autumn. His mercies are ever in their maturity. So lean forward in your walk with Christ as you struggle to follow Jesus. Just lean forward. Every day, lean forward. Hey, hey, no such thing as graduation in discipleship. The only graduation is when we receive the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to those who love him. Paul said, I press on to the upward call of God. Lean forward and lean forward praying. 
Someone has said every disciple has an imperfect prayer life. For as long, hear this, for as long as you pray, you will be a beginner. Step forward also under the mercy of God. Know that every day, everywhere you go, you're living under the mercy of God. And His mercy releases us from being stuck in the ruts. We have resilience in the mercy of God to go forward. Paul said we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are persecuted, yes, but we're not forsaken. We are struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, His suffering. Resilience. God's mercy gives us resilience when we struggle on this road of discipleship. Keep practicing forgiveness. God's forgiveness releases us from this slavery of being uh, driven by our guilty past or compulsive grasping for what we cannot have. God says, I remember it no more. Finally, every day practice gratitude as you follow the Lord. As you serve Him, be grateful. Express gratitude. There's more to be grateful for than the little problem that seems to be steering your bicycle or your heart. All oh, the mercies of God, the Bible says, are greater than the, higher than the heavens. The mercies of God are fresh every morning, the Bible says. And the love of God for you that you can know as a disciple is unknowable, unexhaustible. Which path are you on? What fair way are you playing the game of life? Are you on the broad way where everybody else is going, or have you chosen the narrow way that's a lot of times upstream? Have you truly given your life to Jesus? Today is your opportunity to do that. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. And this is your opportunity to let Jesus be your Lord and your Savior. But you must come and confess Him before others. When Jesus called His disciples to follow Him, He called them publicly. And He said, go into all the world and make disciples and baptize them like we're going to do in a moment. That's a public profession, but it starts with this first step of saying to all the world, I give my life to Jesus. Will you come in just a moment? Father, have your way in this time of worship. Have your way in our decisions. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask Him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Akron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Akron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. 
Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Ephraim Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.